Good morning, City Light. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Hey, um, my name's, if you're new here, my name's Chuck, and I'm the, I get the privilege of being one of the pastors, and uh, I got a question for you this morning. Have you ever felt exposed? Have you ever been in a situation where you were exposed, where you knew at that moment the gig is up? Like your hand was caught in the cookie jar and you knew that you were exposed. Um, anybody experience that? No, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Now, um, my uh, gig is up moment, it came a few years ago whenever a friend of mine asked me to go hunting with him, go deer hunting. And it was down in the Glenwood area. And probably an important detail that I need to just start right off with is up to that point, I had never been hunting before. So there was a lot to hunting that I knew existed, but there was a lot to hunting that I didn't know existed. So we planned, we got everything set up, and we were in the tree stand for a couple of days before we saw anything. And it was a Sunday morning, just a beautiful, crisp, clear Sunday morning, and finally the deer show up. My friend, he gets three, and I get two, and it comes time to field dress the deer. You don't know what field dress means. Don't worry. Don't feel bad because neither did I. <laughs> to field dress a deer means that you are removing the internal organs of this animal and it involves a lot of blood and guts. I wasn't quite ready for it. And so I'm standing watching my friend, standing over him, watching him field dress this deer, and I'm not sure if it was like the look on my face or the fact that I had to sit down to keep from fainting, but he looks at me and he says, Chuck, you've never done this before, have you? <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, the gig is up. Uh, my friend was a, he was an experienced hunter, and when he asked me to go hunting with him, I felt like it was a privilege, and so I kind of crafted ways to make myself look like I was a seasoned hunter because I didn't have the experience of being a, a seasoned hunter. Um, but at that moment, at that time, I was exposed for what I truly was. I was a, a novice. I was, I was a beginner at best. My friend, he graciously showed me how to uh, field dress a deer, and I ended up having lots of meat in the freezer for a long time. But have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to appear to be a certain way? Maybe it wasn't hunting, but maybe it was um, beefing up that resume so that you could get the dream job that you always wanted or maybe wasn't quite qualified for. If you're single, maybe it was embellishing on that dating website so that you could get that guy or that girl of your dreams. Could it be maybe that you purchased that vehicle that you didn't make quite enough money for or that house that was a little bit beyond your budget so that you appeared to be more successful um, in your friends' and family's eyes? I think the truth is that all of us, we want to be thought well of. We want to be admired. And we want to resort to, uh, or we usually in those cases, we, we resort to manufactured means rather than um, actual experience to accomplish that. But eventually, the truth comes out, the gig is up, 
and we're exposed. That's what happened here. That's what happened here with Ananias and Sapphira. A married couple, they told a lie, they stole from God, and they got exposed. Nobody ever wants to get exposed. We think if we get exposed that bad things will happen, that people will reject us, that maybe even God will reject us. And in Acts 5, all three of those things happen. God rejects their offering. Everybody knows about it and they drop dead. It's hard to read. It's hard to understand, and it's our worst nightmare come true. Now, as I thought about Acts 5, there were several different directions that I could have gone, and to be honest, I really didn't want to talk about how a married couple cheated on their offering and God struck them dead. That's not something that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm eager to talk about this. I mean, how encouraging is that, right? By the way, who makes this preaching schedule? Oh, yeah, the bearded hobbit makes the preaching schedule. <laughs> how, is it, how is it that he gets Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit dropping, and uh, I get Acts chapter 5 and God killing people? I guess that's just <laughs> the way it works. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Seriously, though, as I thought about what to preach today, I kept coming back to this and wondering, why? Why do you keep bringing me back to this, Jesus? What is it that you want me to see? Well, here's what I think that Jesus wanted me to see, and hopefully it resonates with you as well. Looking like you've been with Jesus is not the same as actually having been with Jesus. Doing the, the things that Christians do doesn't make you a Christian. Appearance is different from experience. Not exactly positive and encouraging, right? Actually, I think it is, and I'm hopeful that we'll see why. I've got two points this morning. I've got two points this morning. <laughs> Deception is deadly is number one. And number two, there is freedom and not faking it. Deception is deadly, and there's freedom and not faking it. Let's look first at deception is deadly. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when this married couple, you know, kind of met up, started hanging out with this, the people of this church, but one thing is clear for sure. They were around long enough to see people radically changed by Jesus. The verses just before the ones that Eric read, they tell us that Ananias and Sapphira, that they were surrounded by this crazy generosity, and they witnessed people changing their lifestyle so that someone else doesn't go without. And in the midst of verse 30, there was one guy who stood out. His name is Barnabas. We're going to pick it up in verse 34 of chapter 4. Says there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice that the Bible says, for as many as were owners of lands or houses bought and sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
My guess is that there were more than one or two people doing this. Um, It seems that there were quite a few people that were selling property and bringing the proceeds to the church. This seems to be happening a lot. There were a lot of people selling lands. Um, Jesus turned their heart from this from the lake house or from that hunting lodge to himself. They said in their heart, I don't need this anymore. I've got Jesus. Oh, there's people struggling to survive. I'm going to go ahead and sell this in order to make sure that they have uh, something that they can eat and a place that they can sleep. Are there single moms that need a place to sleep tonight? I'm going to go ahead and sell that rental house that I have so that I can make sure that they are being taken care of. That's kind of what was going on here. It had to have been an amazing experience. Wouldn't you agree? Um, And Jesus, he's still doing things like this today. He's still doing crazy things. He's still generating crazy generosity in people's hearts, even today. Just last week, um, he's doing it through you guys. Just last week, uh, there was a a guy in Hy-Vee. He He's been working there for quite a while. In fact, he uh, was a part of City Light when we were over at the Peterson building. He and his girlfriend had a baby, a brand new little newborn, maybe a week old, and a city group found out that this guy was in need. And you know what they did? They met the guy's need. He needed a, a baby monitor so that everybody could make sure that he's safe, that baby's safe. And so the city group took care of that baby, uh, that little newborn baby. Another city group found out that there was a young lady that also happened to work at High V, and her car was not in quite the best shape that it needed to be so that she could make it to work. You don't have a car, it's hard to make it to work. So you know what the city group did? They repaired the lady's car so that she could get me work and make it to work on time so she can make some money. That's sacrificing your own needs and putting the needs of somebody else in front of you. They didn't... Um, Our church hears about needs, and we are quick to jump in and meet those needs. People are willing to sacrifice time and money to help others out. That's a work of Jesus. We could talk all day long about how the generosity is just just filling over, just spilling over and flowing out of our city groups and different people in our church. That comes from experiencing Jesus and wanting others to experience Jesus. That's what this married couple, that's what they were seeing. They were with people who experienced Jesus. They saw these crazy displays of generosity because of what Jesus had done in people's hearts. And I think they got caught up in it. As Eric read, they decided to sell some land. Now my guess is that their intentions were probably good. I don't think that they sold this land with the intentions to be deceitful. I know that oftentimes I have some really good intentions in my heart. And when that number in the bank account gets more than three numbers to the left of the decimal point, I get a little bit excited, right? My priorities tend to change. That, um, you know, that cool toy that I always wanted. Or maybe... The, uh, the cordless drill that I think I need. Or maybe the lure of the new iPhone model tends to, re- it tends to hook me and they start to reel me in. I have good intentions sometimes, but I don't necessarily always um, 
they don't necessarily always work themselves out. I feel like Ananias and Sapphira, that they saw what was going on around them, and they wanted to have a part by being generous. So they sold some land, and then they had this big pile of money in front of them. And they thought, oh, mama needs some new shoes, right? <laughs> They're supposed to laugh there. <laughs> I actually have laugh written in. Ananias may have thought, oh, I can finally afford the NFL Sunday ticket, right? That's something, they, the lure of what they wanted was replaced by their love for Jesus. So they came up with the, this deadly plan of looking like they were giving it all while they were really actually holding some back. What they saw as a clever idea, God saw as a direct insult. What they thought was improvising, God saw as lying. What they saw as resourceful, God saw as hypocrisy. They were trying to have a changed heart without actually submitting to Jesus to change their heart. Their, their plan doesn't not only work, but they, um, they lose their lives in the process. You see, their little game of deception it was deadly. And the funny thing about this story is they didn't even need to do that. They didn't need to deceive anyone. No one expected this couple to give anything. Peter, look at Peter's follow-up questions. After he exposes Ananias, Ananias, he asks, wasn't the land yours? After you sold the land and you had the money, wasn't it yours then why are you lying? Why are you pretending to be something that you're not, Ananias? You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. Now, we don't get the answer to these questions because shortly after uh, those words drop, come out of Peter's mouth, Ananias, he drops dead. Now, we read a few verses later that Sapphira, uh, his wife, is called in and through a series of questions... Uh, it's revealed that she too was involved in this deception and not too much long after that she ends up leaving the room in a first century body bag. Whew. How do you like that? Can we just take a minute and can I, can I breathe for a minute? I mean, that's a big deal there. Can we just pause here and just say, wow, that is some incredible heavy stuff. That just happened and Luke, for whatever reason, thought it was necessary for us to know that it happened. Why? Why is it important that we know this? I think Luke wants us to know that deception is deadly. Deception is deadly. And what we've seen for like the last four chapters is we've seen this huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the gospel affect people in crazy ways. We've seen Jesus changing hearts. We've seen the gospel take root in thousands of people. And I think Luke's trying to remind us here why we need the gospel. The gospel is good news. But before we can appreciate the good news, we have to understand the bad news. We have to be honest about the bad news. And the bad news is that sin leads to death. 
That's exactly what happened here. Their sin of deception is deadly and it led to death. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. On our best day, that's what God owes us. Death. The question here isn't, why is God so harsh on these guys? The question is, why is he so gracious to us? Why doesn't he treat us like he treated Ananias and Sapphira? And as hard as it is to believe, that's what I deserve. That's what we all deserve. How many of us have ever deceived or overplayed our part in our jobs or in our church or in our city group? How many of us have ever done that? I've got, I've got to say that I'm thankful that God doesn't deal with me like he does, like he did with Ananias and Sapphira. Um, <clears throat> there was a time in my life when I was playing the game, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was playing the game of appearing to be something that I wasn't. I was, I was trying to look like I was successful and faithful when I was actually barely making ends meet and I was living in guilt and shame. Against the better judgment of my wife, I made a deal on a house that was a rent-to-own agreement, and this was a really nice house. It, uh, it had a, uh, you know, it was in the, in the valley, out in the country, on an acreage, and um, it was something that I thought we needed. It was, the payment was much greater than the house that we were in, but it was the perfect house. My sales were on the uptick, and I thought we could swing it, so we made the deal and began, uh, began life in this house. Now, let me just tell you that it was a rough road for quite a while. And uh, we call that house our, our house of, uh, our school of hard knocks. Because <laughs> there were a lot of lessons that we learned in that place. And um, I was living with the guilt of being a leader in this church plant that we're in and not yet really giving regularly to it. There was a lot of shame that went along with that. And in February of 2017, instead of dropping dead like I deserved, the Holy Spirit began to do a work in my heart and he changed me. There was some de deception and hypocrisy in my heart. And he pointed out to me in an advisory team meeting that um, we, were, we were talking about finances in this advisory team meeting. And we were in the old Peterson building. We were filling that building up twice, and we were still growing. People were uh, being baptized. People were coming to know Jesus, and we didn't have space for anyone. The Lord, Jesus hadn't yet worked it out to where we were in this building, and we were trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to make more space for people to come to know Jesus and for lives to be changed? And as we're talking in this advisory team meeting, Greg points out, Greg Bachman, he points out that, hey, our next steps financially are very, very critical. I don't know if you've ever been there, but at that moment, I went from being engaged and involved in, in this meeting to feeling like I was the only one there. And uh, it, became, it was made clear to me that I was appearing to be all in when really I was holding something back. And just like Ananias and Sapphira, I was infatuated with stuff more than I was in love with Jesus. 
So it took me a while, but I turned to Jesus and I took some steps to live differently. I asked forgiveness from Jen, who's my wife, and uh, asked her for forgiveness from leading very poorly in this way. Um, I got with Doug and Eric and we talked about uh, some areas of accountability that they would hold me uh, accountable in. Got rid of the satellite TV, NFL, Sunday ticket. Yes. Got rid of that. Started to eat out less. And eventually, uh, we were able to get out of that house and move into a house that we could afford uh, much better. Deception in my heart was made known to me by the Holy Spirit in the middle of a meeting in a discussion. Sometimes it can be more direct, like when a friend who loves you points out gluttony or laziness. Or when your wife asks you, why are you always so angry and upset? I'm just thankful that God shows me grace and didn't give me death, which is what I deserve. Amen? So we see that deception is deadly. But another thing that we see is that there is freedom to not fake it. Look again at uh, Peter's questions to Ananias. It says there, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Peter's questions are really saying, you didn't have to sell this land, Ananias. No one required you to give this money after you sold the land. You didn't have to come up with this plan. I felt like Peter was saying, hey, bro, you could have hung out here for a long time. We, you didn't need to do this. We love what God is doing, but it's not about appearances or it's not about putting on a show. You don't need to fake faith to just fit in. You don't need to do that. There is freedom to not fake it. Now, what do I mean by faking it? What does it look like to fake it? Let me tell you about two ways that I tend to fake it. First one is, is I fake it when I worry more about how I might appear to others than actually experiencing Jesus. That's what happened here. Peter made it clear that there was no pressure to Ananias to, to do what he did. He didn't have to bring this gift. No one went to him and said, hey, Ananias, we have widows and, um, and you know, people in our church that need money, that need something to survive. There's going to be people tonight, uh, Ananias, that if you don't do this, uh, they're probably not going to eat. Ananias, if you, if you don't do this, you're probably going to have people tonight who's going to be sleeping out in the cold. Uh, so can you help us out? Hey, we know that you have that little piece of property up by the coast. Is there any way you might be able to sell that and just, just give us a hand a little bit? We don't see that in Scripture. Nobody went to Ananias and put that kind of pressure on. But here's what you do see. You see people being changed because of what Jesus did for them. The gospel is being preached over and over, and in all of these different languages, and people are realizing for the first time that this Jesus who died on the cross, he died for them, and their hearts are being changed. 
And so they turn to him, and they walk with Jesus. And as they walk, everything gets changed. The way they look at people change. The way they worship change. The way they looked at their finances change. People were experiencing changed hearts as they were experiencing Jesus. It's not what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. They were more concerned with uh, their status than they were a savior. They wanted a position of prominence instead of a plea for forgiveness. They resorted to trickery instead of the truth of the gospel. Kind of like me with my place out in the country. Now, Tim Keller, he explains the gospel like this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Sometimes I forget that. I forget that the gospel meets me exactly where I am. In whatever moment, at whatever state, in the depths of my sin, Jesus reaches down and he pulls me out of the muck and the mire. That's one way I fake it. Let me give you one more. I also fake it when I don't repent from things that I know are sin. I fake it when I don't repent from things that I know are sin. When I'm made aware of sin through God's word or through my wife or through those who are close to me and I continue in that sin, I'm faking it. Being made aware of our sin, I don't know if you know this or not, it's an evidence of God's grace in your life. It's not the most fun thing in the world to experience because uh, it usually, I mean, it usually stinks, right? A lot of times when God's making us aware of sin or when the Holy Spirit is bringing something up in us that is sin, it comes as a, uh, by means of someone who's close to us, someone that we love, someone that we care for, somebody that we would call a friend or a loved one. And a lot of times when those people are bringing those things up in us, it feels more like hurt and pain than it does love and grace. But that's an evidence of God's grace in your life. And in that moment, I've got a choice. In that moment, you've got a choice. Do I believe that this person who loves me is trying to hurt me, or do I believe they're trying to help me? Do I turn from this sin and ask Jesus for forgiveness, or do I continue to deny their words, reject their love, and react in anger? Do I continue in this disobedience? The Bible spells it out with clarity that turning to Jesus leads to life and that denial takes us down that dangerous road and ultimately leads to death. Hey, City Light, we've talked about a lot of bad news this morning. But can I share some good news with you? We can turn to Jesus because he never faked it. Not one time. Jesus never faked it, and yet he gave us his life, and he died in our place. The perfectly true one died for us fakes. The absolute pure one died for us deceivers. 
He did that not so that we could keep on deceiving or keep on hiding and keep on faking it. He did it so that we could come to him and give him all that so that we can leave our deceit behind. The pure one died so that we can stop faking it. And this morning, I want to very graciously but very clearly invite you to just admit that you're faking it. What areas in, of your life are you faking? I want to invite you to taste the freedom that Jesus died for you so that you don't have to fake it. So here's what I thought we might do. Here in just a little bit, we're going to have some people in the back. We're gonna, they're going to have the prayer lanyards on. And you might have something in your life that you need prayed, somebody to pray with. It might be uh, maybe somebody's having a surgery. Maybe you have concern for a friend. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're revealing certain areas of your life where you might be faking. Would you, would you go back and would you pray with somebody? Would you be honest about this? Maybe now's not the time. Maybe later on this week, maybe tomorrow you contact a close friend, you sit up coffee with someone. Get with a pastor. Get with somebody on staff. Somebody that's next to you, whatever. Let's, let's be real. Let's be honest about who we are. We don't have to fake it anymore. City Light, I love you guys. And I want you to know two things out of this this morning. Deception is deadly. And there's freedom to not fake it. Can we pray? Oh, Father. This is some heavy stuff this morning. It landed on me heavy. And Father, I just want to thank you for what you've shown us. I want to thank you, Father, that this part of the gospel, it's hard. Deception is deadly. Sin does lead to death. But God, we're so grateful that you don't leave us there. We're so grateful that you have shown us that we don't have to fake it, that Jesus died so that we don't have to fake it. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would do a work in here this morning, that, you would, that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts, the Holy Spirit would make us willing to just admit where we are. And Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.